You are listening to Green Minds, a podcast of the Southeast Sustainability Directors Network. I'm Catherine Mercia-Baggett. In this episode, we have the pleasure to speak with Laura Thomas of Richmond, Virginia, about their recently adopted Climate Equity Action Plan 2030. But before we get to Laura, I'm thrilled to welcome and introduce our new co-host, Dr. Robin Byers. Hey, Robin, thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you. Would you mind introducing yourself, please? Yes, thank you so much. I am so excited to be a co-host of this wonderful Green Minds podcast. And I'm looking forward to working with you, Catherine, as we move through the next the next subjects we have in mind for everybody. Background on myself. So I am the sustainability and resiliency manager for the city of Charlotte. I've been working for about 20 years in planning and environmental planning, specifically focused on sustainability and implementation of policy. I, I moved into this role with the city of Charlotte recently from their planning department. And I'm really excited to just jump in and soak up all the sustainability stuff again. We're glad you're here. And I think this is this is going to be a fun adventure. We decided to reformat a little bit the podcasts um, so they would be more dynamic and conversational. So our auditors will hear from both of us in most episodes. We will also have two recurring questions for our guests. The first one is, who is your sustainability superhero? That will help us discover maybe lesser known, but still important figures in the field. And And the other thing we're going to do is we are going to ask all of our guests to answer a question and then to ask a question. And so the question that one guest poses to us in one podcast we will use for the next podcast's guest. And so this way, it's not just interacting with Catherine and I, but also everyone else that we're talking to and really dig down deep or not so deep if the case (laughs) is a lot more informal. We don't know what these questions are going to be. They're going to be a shock, but it will be fun. Yes, it will be. So tell us about your superhero. My superhero is not a current person, but I was really thinking about this and I really have to go back to Ian McCarg. Mm -hmm. Ian McCarg reading the book Design with Nature was the first introduction I had when I took my first environmental geography class and it got me hooked. And in all honesty, I go back and reread that book every couple of years. I am not a landscape architect. I am not an urban designer. But the concepts just make so much sense to me. And I always go back to how simplistic it was. This is the way the ecosystem works. Design with it. Why would you do anything against it? It's just going to create problems later. And that's essentially what I take is, is my job in sustainability is it's not always the new fancy thing. A lot of times we've already figured it out. Someone has figured it out in the past. And so sometimes it's taking the old and making it modern again. Yes, that's a that's a really good one. I wish I would have thought about it. <laughs> and also his work was the precursor of GIS, which is a yep. tool that everybody uses these days. So that's that's a really good one. Do you remember I'm gonna ask you this question? Do you remember being in school and having the projectors with the transparency sheets and the markers? Oh yes. Oh, yes. And that's essentially what what McCarg did is he's like, hey, take all these maps and put them together. Mm-hmm. And now we have GIS and it's it's a lot less frustrating than a projector. If you know what you're doing. Yes. If, if you know what you're doing. 
now that we've introduced ourselves, we've introduced a little bit about our new dynamic that we have going on here. It's time to get in to the details with Laura Thomas of Richmond, Virginia. Specifically, I'm really excited about this conversation. Um, Richmond has a climate equity action plan, which is something that I think is pretty novel. A lot of us in the Southeast are looking at how we can add equity into our plans and into our implementation in a more meaningful way. I'm trying to do this in my own work, and we hope that this brings as much value to you guys as it does to us. Laura, you have been uh, a member of SSDN for a while, but you had a recent move. Uh, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks so much for having me here today. Excited about this conversation. Um, my name is Laura Thomas. I currently serve as the Director of the Office of Sustainability for the City of Richmond. I am very proud to be the first person to serve in this new role for my hometown. Um, it's been great coming back. I went to undergraduate school here in Richmond at Virginia Commonwealth University, where I got my undergraduate degree in biology and minor in chemistry. I ended up getting my master's in sustainability a few years after that, but I have been in the Tampa Bay area for the last close to 10 years, and I've served in a similar role in local government uh, for a smaller city. Uh, Largo, Florida. And prior to that, I spent a few years in the waste sector and working in private industry. So it's been full circle being raised in Richmond, Virginia, going to undergrad, moving away for some time, and now coming back home to serve in this role where I've been for about nine months. Well, congratulations on coming back home. And I'm sure Florida misses you. Now let's tackle a very difficult question. Who is your sustainability superhero? I'm going to offer up two, one not as real as the other. Um, I would say my first one is Miss Frizzle. Um, so growing up, she was an idol of mine. Um, I have been her for Halloween numerous times. I both. was just going to say that. I was her for Halloween last year. <laughs> yes. Yes, both as a kid and as an adult. I love it. I love it. Um, but that kind of imaginative um, exploration of the science world growing up definitely helped keep me into my interests um, as I went through school and college. Um, in a more real sense, a sustainability hero of mine that I have not met yet and hope to one day is Dr. Catherine Hayhoe. Um, if you're not familiar with her, she is an amazing scientist at the Nature Conservancy, was at NOAA prior to that, um, and really bring, brings this wonderful kind of blended approach to this human-centered um, passion for sustainability. And I think we can all learn a lot both from her uh, as a science applicator and as well as a communicator. If you look through a lot of her content, it is easy for the average person to understand and get connected into um, and has really um, been someone that I look to when, when I think about communicating relevant topics today. So uh, definitely recommend going to Dr. Catherine Hayhoe's website and learning more about her. Your sustainability superhero was in Charlotte a couple months ago, oh. um, virtually in Charlotte. Um, she was a keynote speaker at the Congress for New Urbanism conference that was held here. And so it was amazing to get to hear her speak. 
just picked up her book, Saving Us. So I hear yeah. it's amazing. It's a great read. Yeah, I've met, I've been to a conference in Tampa where she was also our keynote and what that was uh, an amazing kind of, I had heard about her before, but that really set me into learning more about her and, and reading her books and articles. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Laura, what we're going to do is I have a couple questions to ask you because you guys have some amazing work you've been doing that really centers equity. Um, and so what I'd like to do is just start off by asking you to explain your RVA Green 2050 plan. Yes, thank you. Um, RPA Green 2050 is our Climate Equity Action Plan. Um, this plan has been in the works for several years in the city of Richmond. It was a significant undertaking by the team. I am so proud of the work that they did to get this plan created. Uh, it was not easy. And they created a, what I think is a North Star of how sustainability offices could be moving forward with this work. The plan covers five different pathways um, the, from transportation to buildings and energy, community, waste. Um, and so we are really looking at this comprehensively. The plan centered equity throughout the planning process. So not just trying to reach out to everyone in the community to find out what they want or what they need, but really embracing that human-centered approach to let them design the planning process, right? A lot of times in local government, we come up with what we think is a great idea. We shop it out to the community. We might tweak a couple of things, but largely it's from our perspective that we really had taken that time to help explain the why we're doing what we're doing and co-designing a process to get towards the end. And so we're really excited that after several years, the city council formally adopted the plan that was proposed by the mayor. Um, they adopted that just this last February. So our office is really pivoting from planning to implementation. And I think it's just such an amazing time to be able to join an organization and a team to move that project forward. I think we're we're all well-versed in climate action plans. This is the first time I've actually heard one called out as a climate equity action plan. So really excited. So I want to ask you a couple of questions about the plan itself and then pivot, like you said, like you guys are into the implementation. But specifically, how is putting together this plan different than a traditional climate action plan with a section on equity that talks about, oh, yeah, this applies? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It is a very different undertaking. It takes a lot of education, both in the organization and in the community to communicate why that's important. And I think I'll say for the city of Richmond, we're unique in several ways. Um, if you think far back to times of colonialism, this land was originally Powhatan land, several other uh, tribal nations in the region as well. But the James River cuts directly through the center of our downtown. 
And because of the James River and the way it is navigable, the British came over and went as far up the James as they possibly could. And therein was where the city of Richmond was founded. After this land was settled, the city of Richmond grew to be one of the two largest slave trading locations in the United States, second only to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. There were countless numbers of enslaved persons sold downtown from the city of Richmond, and a quarter of African Americans today could trace their lineage back to being sold here in the city of Richmond. And that legacy really persists in a lot of ways today. We, of course, had redlining. We, of course, had historical injustices related to annexation. And today we are grappling with the ramifications of that as we are transitioning to try and create a more just community. And so we now see a city that is 70%, nearly 70%, quote unquote, disadvantaged community. We are looking at all of these federal criteria, right, on what a, a disadvantaged community is. Um, that That is largely a lot of our community members. Um, and I'll note that even the term disadvantaged community in and of itself is controversial. And I think it's important uh, for us to think about the way that our words can impact others, regardless of our intent. So for us, when we're thinking about why this is different, equity is such a central part of our organization. Our comprehensive plan, Richmond 300, is an amazing document that also talks about how these historical injustices like redlining impact what we, what we see today. And in the world of sustainability, when we're thinking about a human-centered program, we have to acknowledge that the same systems, institutions, and structures that are creating climate change are the same that are creating social inequities. And if we really want to be able to address climate change, we have to handle both at the same time. Otherwise, like you said, Robin, we're gonna exacerbate inequities and therefore those inequities are going to continue to contribute to climate change. So we have to really be doing both at the same time. Such a rich answer. We could just talk about that the whole time. What I wanted to ask, Another aspect of the planning is what did you learn from getting it adopted? Because I think there's putting together a plan and then there's the adoption process. And those tend to be two very different things. <laughs> yeah, I think all of us in local government get that to a different degree, right? Yes. Um, well, I'll say, you know, we we were really mindful about our lessons learned because it was a novel approach, we wanted to try and be as transparent as possible. We wanted to showcase where we thought we could have done better and, and where we thought we did really well too. And for me, coming into a new role in a new organization with one of the first tasks really being, hey, we've completed this great plan, now go get it adopted. Um, that's a feat because you don't have those relationships, right? You don't have those built-in networks. Um, so it was really relying on the team and then just being intentional to go to different folks and to go to each of the council members and share the plan, not just as a whole plan, but 
what aspects are important to them. So affordable housing is a piece that pretty much every council member, every city, every community is dealing with struggles related to affordable housing. So taking out the pieces of the plan that show how implementing it can really help alleviate some of the issues and concerns that we might have across the country with that. Or if maybe a particular council member might be more interested in um, the environmental justice piece, or maybe there's a particular program that they have been wanting to move forward, um, showing how that's called out in the plan and how we can be collaborators on this with our community and with communities beyond just our borders. So just always taking the time and that slow pace to make sure that you're communicating the right message. And I think another piece too was we are really good at making really big plans. (laughs) Most of our plans aren't 50 pages. I think with appendices, ours is over 500 pages and that is not consumable. It's important that it's all in one place, but then just learning how to pull different aspects out. So once it was finalized, we made sure to have links specifically just to our appendices or just to this part. One of the things I first did was also come in and create a council summary. So 550 some pages condensed down to eight. And it's something that the council can just click the link and then reference on a very high level, of course, but reference some of the things that they'll be wanting to talk to the community about. Oh, they're getting questions, say, about urban planning, or maybe it's urban forestry. They can just scroll through that summary and say, oh, I know that the Office of Sustainability is going to be focusing on this, so they might be a great contact. Um, And here's some other related things that, that might be interesting based on that conversation. So a lot of relationship building. And speaking of relationship building and When you were talking about this plan, it sounds like there was quite a bit of engagement with the community themselves. And I know working for numerous municipalities, it's never an easy thing to do community engagement because you always strive to meet people where they are. Um, But like with the pandemic, you thought you knew where they were (laughs) and then it changed. (laughs) So how... How is that engagement and and how have you continued that into your implementation phase? It's an important question. And again, directly related to that equity piece and, and what we need to be doing or what we could be doing and how we could reimagine our planning processes. The first year or so of the planning process was really more about the greenhouse gas emission modeling, understanding what the future of carbon neutrality could be for the community. So doing that data and doing that research. And then we pivoted to do public engagement in the beginning of 2020. (laughs) (laughs) I know where this is going. (laughs) What a great time, right? Couldn't be better. We had all these plans and aspirations. Mm -hmm. And so a big challenge was that virtual world in which we had to exist. And while we originally wanted to really engage with frontline community members, those um, that are experiencing the first and worst impacts of climate change, we recognize that we might not be able to really get there. And so a potential alternative approach was to really engage with the organizations that directly support them. 
and making sure that we prioritize the feedback of Black and Brown and low-income community members. We actually were able to create several working groups, um, one for each of the five pathways in the plan. And in addition to that, we had a racial equity and environmental justice roundtable that oversaw the entire process. So providing that feedback on what the planning process should look like, providing the feedback on our recommendations, um, helping us understand um, what may be some of those unintended consequences of our proposals, what they might have been, and helping shape those outcomes that way. In addition to that, we took a novel approach on how we meet people where they are at. So, for example, paying community members to participate providing a gift card for showing up to an event, providing childcare, providing food, right? Providing relevant food that those folks actually want to eat. I've seen, uh, uh, and not that it's a bad idea, but I've seen community events where it's all apples and um, oranges and nobody wants to engage. So providing the healthy alternatives, but also providing something that's maybe a little more culturally um, reflective. We provided payment structures, which is not easy in local government. One of our big lessons learned, right? The, if we wanted to provide stipends of $5,000 to the, these individuals on the roundtable, they would have to be registered as vendors for the city. And that isn't always the most equitable process because perhaps some folks don't have bank accounts or perhaps folks don't have all of the documentation in order to sign up. Uh, as a vendor. So things that we couldn't necessarily get around, but recognize that we went to the limits of our local government and certainly not just us. I think all local governments would experience that. I did a very similar process in the city of Largo where we had to register them as vendors and we had to jump through those similar hurdles. So not unique, but definitely something we wanted to recognize. That's some real forward thinking too. And one of the things I hear about in the, the community engagement space is, you know, the folks that you really are missing in a lot of engagement are the folks that have to work and can't take off work. Thank you for sharing that. Now you have this wonderful plan and you have to implement it. I used to be on the implementation team in Charlotte for our comprehensive plan. And one of the things that that the staff we used to always say is like how awesome that we actually get to implement something as planners <laughs> we tend to plan and create policy and then then that moves on to whoever is going to implement it whether it's a different department or whatever and sometimes communities don't implement their plans but so it's really i i will say i know from from personal experience it's really awesome to be able to implement and be supported in implementing your plan and so now, how's that going? Well, <laughs> I think you said it so well. We're really good at planning. We're at local government. We can do that all day. And so how we make sure that the plan stays alive is really important. And um, we're currently about to start a process to make sure that we're publicly sharing progress on the plan right, whether that be a dashboard or a communications tool or whatever it might be, one really important piece of the plan itself to the community was that public transparency and government accountability. 
those are both called out very directly in the plan also. So we want to hold ourselves to that and think about how not only are we providing the information on what's happening, um, but providing it in an equitable way, because I think as local government practitioners, we know that putting something on our website is not always going to be the way that folks find out about things that are happening. So we're excited that we're going to be working on that piece soon. Uh, and in the meantime, we're starting to do a lot of the projects that are both directly listed in the plan or relative and just meeting the moment. So one example is our sustainability and resilience, formerly known as Green City Commission, our sustainability and resilience commission um, worked to have the city enter into the soil and water conservation district. So these are community members serving on a commission. It's one of our specific action items in the plan. They worked with both the conservation district as well as our public utilities folks and guided that conversation. This person happened to have a uh, background and experience working at the state level uh, for uh, the EPA. So they took that and were able to use that experience to actually get us to implement and be part of this soil and water conservation district. We've now officially been a member of that for about two months. And so now we get to roll that out, implement that piece as well. Um, so thinking about what those low-hanging fruit are uh, and how we can move them forward. Another important piece that I was really fortunate to be able and am fortunate to be able to support is a lot of our work around the federal grants. Coming into a new role that hasn't existed before, kind of get to shape what I'm doing a little bit. Um, and I couldn't think of anything better than to try and meet the moment of federal funding. This is unprecedented, all in with the BIL and the IRA. There we go with our local government alphabet soup. But uh, there's $588 billion with a B dollars that can support climate justice work. So I've been convening our nonprofits and community-based organizations to come together and ideate around projects that they've wanted to see. A lot of these are in the plan or they support action items in the plan. Come together, ideate the projects, facilitate the grant application so that we can continue to implement and, and meet this incredible moment that is certainly once in a generation or once in a lifetime. So We've already seen at least one direct application come out of this process. We see at least five more coming out of this process. And we really want to create new relationships between those community-based organizations so that they can start to work together in other ways that they maybe didn't see possible before. We're just really fortunate that we've got a strong team that there's a strong commission to support us, that the community is really supportive, um, and that we're able to collectively come together and um, turn this plan into a reality. That's awesome. Um, I'm just thinking, have you hit any roadblocks? Or are you still riding that momentum wave? Yes and no. <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's local government. This is what we do well. There is a lot of momentum. We're so uh, 
fortunate to have strong support from our mayor and from administration. And I think with any organization, there's the natural tension that you get with change management, because a lot of what we do in local government is enact change. And I think that just like understanding sustainability as a human-centered program, as a human-centered science. Um, We have to also understand that at the center of change, or the unit of change, rather, is one individual. And if we are trying to change our organizations and to change our communities outright, that we really have to meet those folks where they're at take the time that we don't always have in order to help walk them through that change. And so just like with any other organization, going through that is going to be one of the things that just makes us slow down sometimes and and really reflect on how we can make sure that we're making progress. You're very realistic. In this work, it's like you want to be idealistic as much as possible. But if you don't have that pragmatism, you're going to burn out pretty quick. Yeah. And I think that's one good thing about having an idealistic plan is it keeps you pushing, right? And it's got those timelines in there and it keeps you going and motivated because you see that ideal world in that ideal state. Just got to have the patience on the day to day. Well, those were the main questions I had to ask, but I want to open it to you for any closing comments or if you have any questions for, for Catherine or I. Well, I appreciate the question. It's been great to talk about where the city is at. It's always a good opportunity for us to kind of, for me at least, to reflect on the past and where we're going. So hopefully that is helpful in some small way. I'd love to hear, Robin, what are you most excited about for some of the next steps that you think you might be taking? I am so excited about so many things. It's funny because I work with Sarah Hazel, who is our chief sustainability and resiliency officer, and she's fabulous. And she keeps reminding me that we're just updating our plan because I'm like, well, what about this? And what about this? (laughs) She's like, great idea. This is an update. (laughs) (laughs) Our mayor is very supportive. Our council is pretty supportive. I mean, I don't think, I think they've approved everything that we've really taken to them. And so I, I'm realizing more and more that we need to make that direct connection. Charlotte's considered a global leader in sustainability, and we want to keep that up, but we don't want to do it at the expense of communicating with our residents. And I'm, I don't think we've done that. I don't think we failed in that, I guess I should say, but I think we could do a better job of making those direct connections. We've had a lot of really big plans come out of Charlotte. So we've had in 2021, our Charlotte Future 2040 plan. It's the first comprehensive plan that the city has had in 40 years, bringing it all together. We're using place types as opposed to land uses now. So it's Mm -hmm. a way to create that space, its form and use together in a way that helps support community and supports the residents on on a people scale. We have had a strategic mobility plan get adopted. And that has the goal of doing a mode shift to 50-50. So it's not all cars anymore. Another really ambitious goal. 
we have had the city has its first unified development ordinance based off of some of the stuff in the cop plan that just got adopted and that has some bonus requirements or bonus opportunities for um, developers so the city while we're trying to develop responsibly and cut down on our energy use and emissions we have a sustainable facilities policy but now we have regulations and opportunities for private development to also come along for the ride. And all of these things have been adopted in the last two, two and a half years. Wow. So we have all of this coming together. And I, I'm really excited to relook at our CAP because I think it was it was a wonderful document when it was developed. Forward thinking, aspirational is all get out and and we did as much as we could with the pandemic. I think, you know, I'm really proud of the team. Pandemic shut some things down. I think everyone's feeling it with their fleet when they weren't mm-hmm. making cars for a while, right? <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm most excited about is really like taking stock of how much we have actually done and then how we can bring all of these things together. Really do it in a way where, you know, I'm a when I focus on sustainability, I really do focus on those three pieces and how they balance together. So how can we celebrate the equity in our environmental work? And how can we showcase that economically it's actually better, smarter, and good for our city as well? So lofty goals. I hope I can actually achieve <laughs> them, but we have a great team and and some really good support in the community. So I'm really hoping. I have no doubt. I'm excited to see where y'all are going. Yeah. And now we have this example of look what Richmond is doing with this climate equity plan that we can aspire to. So I know it's hard to pat ourselves on the back, but this is a one of a kind plan. And I, I hope you're very proud of it. And you and your staff take the time to congratulate yourselves and really, really feel what you guys have done and it helped pave for the rest of us. Thanks. Yeah. And don't worry. We already had our big thank you mixer to everybody who was <laughs> involved. And I definitely want to show that appreciation. Celebration is so important in our fields. Um, yeah, definitely have to keep doing that too. Catherine, I know I kind of took over there for a minute, but do you have any questions or thoughts that you'd like to share as well? I'm curious to hear in your respective cities, if there are emerging champions for equity that you had not necessarily expected, but they really took the cause to heart and are really helping with the implementation or or the planning effort. Laura, I'm going to let you tackle that one first. I would say one would be the Science Museum of Virginia. They did some amazing heat mapping. That's one positive to being the state capital is we have a lot of those of Virginia's here. They did a lot of really amazing heat mapping um, with Dr. Jeremy Hoffman and looking at the equity impact of our built environment and how that is impacting the day-to-day of these folks. So I think that's one good example. And then I would just say there's so many amazing nonprofits here. One of the reasons that I was so excited to come back home, not just because it's my hometown, but the quality and the forward thinkingness of some of these projects, like a 30 acre agrihood where it's a farm and homes for black and brown families to reclaim some of their land and learn urban agriculture practices. 
I mean, some of these concepts are just really thrilling. So I feel very fortunate to be here with some of these folks that are leading in the in the area. I, I don't know if, if you guys feel this way, but there are times where you go out into the community and you start asking questions like, what does this mean to you? And you find out that they've been organizing and doing work that you didn't even know about. In the equity space, we had so many people come out and help support our, our comp plan. We have departments that are working with it all the time. We're actually partnering with our utility right now for a project that's lowering energy costs and use uses uh, usage in some of these areas that have high energy burden. And not a lot of people can always say that they can have that kind of relationship. So I think that's a bit surprising, not because you assume everyone's going to be bad, but pleasantly surprised that it's going as smoothly um, and as easily as, as it can. I've gotten some feedback like, do you feel supported? I feel very supported. We hear a lot about, you know, in local government, the staff's working really hard and you always get nervous when you have to go to council because there's competing interests and they have like five big things that they have to vote on and they have to make sure that they have the money to support it all. But we've been very fortunate that we get a lot of support and it's not the typical, oh, you know, this person's going to support it. You know, that person's not going to support it. It's, it's an overall kind of support for this type of work and especially the equity piece. Robin and Laura, thank you so much for participating in this podcast. Laura, it's always a pleasure to get to see you. Robin, you'll be a, a regular from now on. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And in closing, Laura, if you had to ask a question to our next guest, who we don't know who that is yet, what would that question be? Oh, I love, love, love this. I would ask of the next guest to take a moment, close your eyes and picture yourself. You wake up tomorrow, climate change is solved. We've done it. We've achieved all of the things. What do you do now? That's powerful. That's a tough one. I like it. <laughs> That's going to be great. Thank you for listening to Green Minds, a podcast of the Southeast Sustainability Directors Network. I'm Catherine Mercier-Baggett, and my new host is Dr. Robin Byers. Very thankful to have her with us. And our guest was Laura Thomas of Richmond, Virginia.